TheYeshiva.net. We began last week a Maimer, a Hasidic discourse by the Tzemach Tzedek, known as Derech Mitzvah Mitzvah Teglachas Mitzvah, which literally means the mitzvah of the shaving of the leper, of the Mitzvah. And this is, of course, the discussion of the portions of this week's in the Torah, of, of these weeks in the Torah, Kazriya, and then next week Mitzvah. And we had two classes last week, last Monday and Thursday. And the main focus was the various paradoxes we see in Judaism concerning here, what's known as Cyrus. I just want to make sure everybody on Zoom could see me and hear me. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Okay. The various paradoxes of, uh, of the concept of here within Judaism. And he went through different scenarios, different situations, different laws, which we all discussed in the first class and then in the second class. I'm not going to repeat it. You can review it because I want to move on. And the Tzemach Tzedek, this is a discourse by the Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzedek, in the Sefer Derech Mitzvah which, by the way, is a foundational, one of the foundational works of Chabad Chassidus, Derech Mitzvah the explanations of Chabad Chassidus on many of the mitzvahs of the 630 mitzvahs of the Torah, explaining the mitzvahs primarily from a spiritual and psychological and an emotional point of view. So this mitzvah, the Tzemach Tzedek goes in very much into this particular mitzvah of the mitzvah of the leper from the angle of the hair. And he discussed the difference of the levi in the desert who shaves his hair, and the nazir who has to let his hair grow, and the woman who covers her hair after marriage, and the mitzvah who when he becomes pure, he shaves his hair. And the point that the Tzemach Tzedek made was that hair represents a certain restricted form of energy, just like the hair on the head, which nurtures gets nurture, it's alive. Nonetheless, it has no nerve endings and therefore you can cut it off and it's not painful because it represents a condensed, filtered, extremely restricted form of energy. It's the surplus, what he calls maestri meichen. So he says it always depends in which space of reality you're talking about. In a space known as Atika Kaddish, which we explained, is a very lofty, the lofty is a very lofty level of divinity of godliness, then even the restrictive energy is also extremely intense. And on the contrary, you have to get your energy only from a restricted place, because if not, it would be overwhelming. And that's the idea of the here of the Nazir, which he has to grow, because that here contains and channels and manifests a very powerful level of holiness. And in every person, in every male Jew, this is the concept of the pious and the beard, where the Torah says, do not destroy the pious, do not cut your pious, do not destroy your beard, because they manifest a very profound kedusha, a very profound holiness. However, when you're talking about not Atika Kadisha, but Nukva, when you're talking about not Atik, which is the highest of the spheres, known as Keser, as the crown, but Nukva, the lowest of the spheres, known as Malchus, which really comes down into the nitty-gritty uh, hustle and bustle and anxiety of the universe, with all of its vicissitudes and fluctuations. Here, a further symptom, a further restriction, which is the concept of here, could also be used, misused what's called Yenika Sachitzainim, that can be a nurture of the external external forces. This is basically what we learned in a very, very brief summation, but without an explanation, just the basics. Now the Tzemach begins explaining it. 
We are on the second page of the Maimer. It's uh, page 209. Or in the Hebrew, it's Kufhe, Kufhe Amad Aleph, Kufhe A. And we are uh, um, around 10 lines from the top. Let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 12 lines from the top. The line starts, Yinikas, Yinikas, and we are at the last word of the line. Ubiyur Adavar Lekarev Elaseichel Yuva. Ubiyur Adavar Lekarev Elaseichel. To explain what we have said. Interesting words, Lekarev Elaseichel, to bring it closer to the Seichel, meaning these are concepts, these are very potent ideas. Can I bring them closer to the Seichel, meaning that we should be able to integrate it in our minds, we should be able to understand it better. So he gives a metaphor, but a very the metaphor itself is a very powerful idea in and of itself. It will be explained similarly to what our sages say. The Talmud Sukkah, page 21b. Al-Pasik on the verse, His leaf will not decompose, will not rot. Yibayl is rotting, decomposing, disintegrating. The leaf will not rot. This is from Tehillim Aleph Gimel. This is the first chapter of Psalms, the, fir- the first chapter, the third verse. So we have a tree. So you have the trunk of the tree. You have, of course, the branches of the tree. You have the leaves on the branches. Then you have the flowers. Then you'll have your fruits. That's the ultimate, most productive element of the tree. But the terrorist, the Pasuk says, even the leaf won't decompose. So our sages in Shraktit Sukkah say that even mundane conversation of the Talmidei Chachamim, of true, authentic Torah personalities, even the mundane conversations require learning. What does this mean? Sichas Chulin means a... A, a regular mundane conversation. You have the Talmud Chacham, the great teacher, the great mentor, the man, the personality of Torah, the man of God, the woman of God, communicating ideas, feelings of godliness, of holiness, of Torah. That's not Sichas Chulin. Those are the fruits, they're not the leaves. Sichas Chulin means what you call Regular talk, <laughs> in your mundane talk, simple talk. It doesn't seem to be very insightful. It's it's what you call you know schmoozing. <laughs> There's nothing. To, it's not something you feel like you should write down or give over to the next generations. You know, sometimes we all know. You go to a shir, you go to a, to a class, to a lecture. Somebody who's renowned in their field, and this is something that that could be transcribed, should be transcribed, should be passed on, uh, should be uh, published, etc. But then there's Sichas Chulin. There's just, you know, mundane conversation, almost incidentally, matter of fact, it was said nonchalantly, without much deliberation. That's called Sichas Chulin. Comes the Gemara and says, if you're talking about a real Talmud Chachem, even a Sichas Chulin shall Talmud Chachem, even the mundane, what seems like very simple conversation, there's nothing to uh, discuss further. Tzrichalim, would you have to learn it? Vahainu, what does this mean? Okay, Talmud Chacham, the true Talmud Chacham. Le Goydel Chachmas Alekis Hashem Bekirboy. A 
a real Talmud Chacham is somebody whose humility is of such profundity that the person becomes a conduit for divine wisdom. This is called Chachmas Alikis. So due to the profound divine wisdom that vibrates through this person's brain and soul and psyche, even that which he says, is an expression in halacha when it comes to muktz and other things, that which you do like with the back of your hand in a, in, 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 in a clumsy, not regular way. But it's an expression when you do something, you're not fully there. It's almost he did it matter of fact, like with the back of the hand. Even that which he says, and it almost seems unintentional. There was no deep kavana or preparation. He, it's almost like what we spoke before about here. It's the, it's the overflow. It's the surplus. It's the residue of his brain. It's like, you know, what's left over. You have the smorgasbord. <laughs> the smorgasbord has all the delicious food and everything is prepared. And then you have, you know, the leftovers. So you put it in the garbage where you're going to start taking from every single plate and find it. I mean, Baruch Hashem, if somebody is, is starving, okay, they do that. But usually, you know, the leftover goes to the garbage. It's not significant enough to uh, put away in the refrigerator. You know, if you have a meal and you have a little, some scraps left over. If you have a whole dish left over, okay, so it's not left over. Yeah. Somebody once said in my home, we always left, we always ate, you know, the leftovers. We're still looking for the original meal that my mother made. So you have the original, and then you have the moisri moichen, the residue, the surplus, what's, what's left over, moisri. It's not a reflection of the core wisdom of the Talmud Chachem. On the contrary, it's the external reflection of his wisdom. It's like the leftovers from his wisdom. It's expressed in just a very regular, mundane conversation. means a conversation in the Veltarein. There was no, there doesn't seem to be any significance. Afal Pikain, comes the Gemara and says, no, you need to study it, you need to learn it. To the point that this is considered Torah. Just like Torah you learn. Why? Because it's Chachmas Alakus. It's a divine wisdom. It's a divine perspective. It's not just ideas. It's, it's the way God thinks. <laughs> That's the difference. There's, every person is blessed with a gift of wisdom and people develop many ideas. Some ideas are incredibly powerful. But as it says in Svarim, there's no good without some toxicity mixed into it. There's no toxicity without good mixed into it. Then you have what's called Chachmas Alakus. It's the way, so to speak, God views the world. It's God's wisdom. That's what Torah is. Chachmas Alakus. So the Chiddush here, the novelty here, is that the Sichas Chula needs learning as divine wisdom. As the Gemara says, From the conversation, from the mundane conversation of Rem Gamliel, we learned two things. I want to read to you this Gemara in Sukkah. Sukkah Chafalof Amit Beis. So here's the context. In the opening of the second chapter of Sukkah, of Mishnah Yisukkah, it's the chapter known as Hayoshan Tachas Hamita. 
somebody who sleeps under a bed in the sukkah. You build a sukkah on sukkahs, before sukkahs. And on, you go under the bed, you sleep under the bed on sukkah. So the Mishnah says somebody who sleeps under the bed on sukkahs did not fulfill the obligation. Why? Because the bed is a partition, it's a hefsek that separates the person from the schach of the sukkah. So therefore I didn't fulfill the obligation. So if I'm sleeping under the sukkah, it's like I went to sleep outside of the, of the sukkah. That's what the Mishnah says. So Rabbi Yehuda tells a story. And he says that we used to sit in a sukkah with older sages with the skenim. And you know what? We needed a place to sleep. And we used to sleep under the bed. And the skenim, the elderly sages, didn't tell us anything. So Rabbi Yehuda says that obviously they didn't agree with this. They held that the meat of the bed is not a hefsik, it's not a separation, because the, the idea is that since it's not something that's permanent, the bed is mobile, you can move it from place to place, it's not a permanent covering over the person, so therefore it doesn't create a partition. So that's two opinions. Comes the Mishnah and says, Amar Rib Shimon. Rib Shimon said, I want to tell you a story. Rabbi Gamliel had a servant his name was Tavi. He wasn't Jewish. He was a, a Evet Kneini. He was a serv- He was a he was a non-Jewish servant who was acquired by Rabbi Gamliel, and like every non-Jewish servant who's acquired by a Jew, Evet Kneini, he becomes semi-Jewish in the sense he goes through a bris and is obligated in all the mitzvahs that a woman is obligated, but not all the time-bound mitzvahs until his master emancipates him. When he goes free, then he's obligated in all the mitzvahs like a full-fledged Jew. So Tavi was the servant of Rabbi Gamliel, and he was very close to him. He had a very special liking. Our sages tell us in Brachas that when Tavi died, Rabbi Gamliel was devastated, and he was Makabal Tanchumim. He was, uh, he was sitting, he was receiving condolences like a family member. He was so close to him. He was a very special person. So Rabbi Shimon says, I want to tell you a story. The servant of Rabbi Gamliel, Tavi, was once sleeping under the bed in the sukkah. So Rabbi Gamliel tells the other sages, he says, you see, my servant Tavi is a Talmud Chacham. And he knows that an Eved, a Kanani servant, even if he's by a Jew, and he's part of the Jewish family, he's exempt from sukkah. Because just like a woman is exempt from sukkah, she could eat in the sukkah, but she doesn't have to. Because it's a mitzvah's essay, Shazman Groma. Any mitzvah that's time-bound, the woman is not obligated to do it unless she wants to. So the Eved, Tavi also doesn't have to, doesn't have to uh, uh, be in the sukkah. So he's a Talmud Chacham, and he knows that servants are exempt from sukkah, and that's why he's sleeping under the bed, because he doesn't mind, right? Rabbi Gamliel explained, <laughs> explained that his Tavi is a Talmud Chacham. In other words, don't think that Tavi is just sleeping under the bed because there's no place, so he just found that place. No, this, Tavi, Tavi is a Talmud Chacham. He knows that he could sleep under the bed because why not? This is what Reb Shimon said. So Reb Shimon said, oh, what do we learn from this? What do we learn from this? We learn from this that if you sleep under the bed, you didn't fulfill the obligation. Now, Reb Gamliel was praising his servant. He was just telling them that my Tavi, ay, 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 does he know his stuff? But Reb Shimon said, from this we learn the sheet of the view of Reb Gamliel. Because Reb Gamliel said he's a Talmud Chacham, and he knows that an Eved doesn't have to sleep in the, doesn't have to sleep, doesn't have to eat or sleep in the sukkah, and therefore he's sleeping under the bed. What do we learn from this? Even though Reb Gamliel didn't say it explicitly, that, an, that under the bed you wouldn't fulfill the mitzvah of sukkah, and therefore the justification of Tavi to sleep under the bed is because 
A servant doesn't have to. An Eved is putter from Sukkah. But we, from here we learn the status of a bed from the Ramliel's perspective. This is Sukkah Dav Chafam the Mishnah. Later in the Gemara, Chafalaf, the Gemara says, Abraisa, that Reb Shimon said that from the conversation of Ram Gamliel, in which he was boasting about his servant Tavi, we learned two things. Number one, we learned that slaves are exempt from sukkah. And number two, we learn that somebody who sleeps under the bed in the sukkah does not fulfill the obligation, unlike the other opinion. Misichase, from the conversation. Again, the, Rabbi Gamliel was just boasting about his servant. He was just, you know, my tovi, ah, my tovi. He's a Talmud Chacham. Why? Because he slept under the bed. Shite. But for, we, we learn, we learn something from this. What do we learn? We learn two things. An Eved doesn't have to be in a sukkah. Doesn't have to. He could, but he doesn't have to. And number two, under a bed, you don't fulfill the obligation. So the Gemara says, why does Reb Shimon say, Midvarov Shadam Gamliel, Midsichos Shadam Gamliel, from the conversation of Ram Gamliel? He should have said, Midvarov Shadam Gamliel, from the words of Ram Gamliel. You see how the Gemara is meticulous. Reb Shimon said, from the conversation, from the words of Ram Gamliel, not from the conversation. So he says, Reb Shimon wanted to teach us something incidentally. What did he want to teach us? He wanted to teach us this idea that comes from Rav, that even the mundane conversations of a Talmud Chacham has to be studied, because va'aleyu lo yibayl, a Talmud Chacham is like a tree, a tree that's anchored in fresh, vibrant water, and even the leaves, which don't seem essential to the function of the tree, they're not the fruits, even the leaves are so precious, they don't decompose. Even though a leaf is usually something that you would throw in the garbage, you don't, it falls off the tree, what do you do with it? Goes to the sewer, it stays in the street till it decomposes, whatever happens, it stays on the gutter. Nonetheless, no, 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 no. These leaves you don't throw out, there's something to learn. So therefore, even the sichas chulin of a Talmud Chacham, you have to learn. That's why the Shimon said, from the conversation of Ram Gamliel, not from the words of Ram Gamliel. From the words of Ram Gamliel, you would think you have to listen to the words. But what about when there's just a regular conversation? You don't have to listen. He says, no, everything in it, everything has Torah. That's what the Tzamech Tzedek is bringing here. Okay. So, Shehein hein ratzen alien baruch. But what does this really mean? He's saying we're learning two things in halacha. We're learning two things about what God wants. What God wants, that if I, under a bed, I did not fulfill Hashem's will. And God says, if I'm an Evet, if I'm a servant, I don't have to be in a sukkah. So it's not just we're learning something interesting. We're learning about God. We're learning about truth. We're learning about the Ratzon Hashem, Ratzon Elyon Baruch Hu, from the conversation of Ram Gamliel. Ah, this demonstrates to us what a Talmud Chacham is. That even the, the things that are said, apparently to boast about his Evet. No, no, no. If he said it, if he said it, even that which seems superficial has in it a lot of depth, a lot of wisdom. Study it. Study it. <laughs> not to insult anybody, but he says, what if somebody's not a Talmud Chacham, somebody's not on that level, and he says, he's just having a, what we would call a regular schmooze. It may be considered dvarim betelem. Dvarim betelem means idle talk, insignificant talk, valueless talk. It could even go into what we spoke earlier in the previous classes about the soul being dressed up with clothes, with garments. 
that are not necessarily clean. And it can actually degrade the divine soul. You know, words are very significant. Words are the, it's like the clothes I put on. Words are the way I express myself. I'm enclosed in my words. I'm manifested in my words. Words have power. When you sometimes say, if I speak, if somebody communicates in vulgar language, it brings me down. You know, sometimes people say things, you regret it afterwards. It brings you down. It schleps you down. Even Dvarim Betalem. Dvarim Betalem doesn't mean, I didn't defame somebody, and I didn't lie, and I didn't cheat, and I didn't insult. Yeah. And I didn't say vulgar, disgusting, repulsive, abominable things. Dvarim Betalem means, it's just valueless. In Yiddish, it's called postunvist. It's devoid of any toichen, of anything. Dvarim Betalem, these are not words of love or words that connect, words that, that, that are productive, words that are meaningful. An authentic conversation between two people who are close, two friends, marriage partners, a spouse, a husband and a wife, parents and children, a teacher and students, or, or even two strangers. But there's what's called meaningful conversation. My soul is there. My presence is there. My authenticity are in the words. Dvarim Betelim is just idle talk. There's nothing there. So it degrades my divine soul. Your soul is divine. Your soul is sacred. You're not a piece of garbage. You, you, and that's this very, very power, very important idea people don't realize. The power of words. You say, well, I did it. It's, it's Dvarim Betelim. For the soul, it's, 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 it's degrading. He calls it a tumor. The soul gets, gets affected by it. Because it's, the question is, what am I dressing up my soul in? You know, what am I getting dressed in? Am I getting dressed in rags? Or am I getting dressed in, in, in garments that are befitting my inner royalty? That's the question. And this is not just garments, physical garments. These are words. They are they're deep garments. They're called levushim. So instead of dressing my soul in holy garments, in sacred garments in meaningful garments, garments of Torah, garments of mitzvahs. As the Gemara says in Yuma Daf Yutes, Yuma 19, Somebody who speaks Sichas Chulun, Sichas Chulun means just mundane talk, mundane conversation without any, any meaning, any benefit, any, any depth, any truth. It actually, anything that's, 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 that's necessary for life in one form or another. Sometimes I can have a conversation about business. I can have a conversation about my money situation. I can have a conversation about very mundane things, you know. <laughs> dinner, dinner has to be made. Somebody has to clean the house. I have to take care of something in the bank. I got to go get gas. We all have these conversations. But that's not what we're talking about. Those are things that are necessary for life. The Rambam has a whole... Famous commentary about many different levels of talk. What, what level of talk? What level of conversation? But a sichas chulin that has no meaning, no purpose. Over be'ese, you violate the mitzvah. It says v'dibar to bum in parshas v'aschan and in shema v'dibar to bum. You should speak in them. Not idle talk. But one second, we just said that sichas chulin needs learning. What's what's the connect? What's the? How do you say that you're over be'ese? That it's not the right thing. So he says, You can have an Adam Kasher, means a fine person, an Ehrlich, a good Jew, who knows Torah. You can even have a person who learns. 
but it's not the level of what we call a Talmud Chacham. Talmud Chacham, the way the Shas described the Talmud Chacham, is a unique person. It's not just a person who learns a lot. It's not just a person who has a good IQ and masters a lot, and even a person with a good memory. That's information. Talmud Chacham is somebody who lives Torah. They breathe Torah. They embody Torah. Their brain, their mind, their soul, their heart, their body. So even that which comes out, and it seems idle, it needs learning. But another person, he says, he may learn, but to say that just what seems like a foolish conversation is 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 you don't say that. It's it's it was a waste of time. Because there's a difference between when he's expressing what he thought about, what she thought about. That's really expressing my authentic inner mind. And when it's Maishri Maichen, when it's just, you know, the leftovers, there's no consciousness there. When the person does not engage in mundane talk, but engages in Torah talk, there's a lot to listen to. The Talmud Chacham, even the overflow, even the leftovers, even the residue, even that which you call mundane talk also has Kedusha. Like we see in the case of Rabbi Gamliel. There's another interesting story, by the way, in Gemara in Erevin. Erevin Dav Samach Dalad, Erevin, page 64. Also a story about Rabbi Gamliel. It's interesting. The same, the same Rabbi Gamliel. Obviously, our sages understood that every conversation of Rabbi Gamliel had tremendous depth. By the way, Rabbi Gamliel lived in the first century after the Common Era. He lived after the destruction of the second Beis Hamikdash, and uh, he was the famous Nasi, the, the leader of the Sanhedrin in Yavna, in, in the city of Yavna. So Rem Gamliel, the Gemara says, was riding on a donkey. He was going from a city called Aku to a city called Chziv. And he had a student, Rabbi Loi, who was following him. On the way, Rem Gamliel saw a, a loaf of bread or a cake, gluskin, a loaf of bread or cake. So Rem Gamliel says, Eloi, his student, Eloi, take, tell gluskin menaderech, lift up this cake or lift up this loaf from the, from the road. They were riding, he was on the donkey on the road. Anyway, as they're going further, they, they encounter a Gentile. So Rem Gamliel turns to this Gentile and he says, Mavgoi, Mavgoi calls him, Mavgoi, here, take this loaf of bread from Eloi, because his student Eloi had the bread. So Rabbi Eloi gave him the bread, and then he asked his Gentile, where are you from? And he tells him where he's from. What's your name? Mavgoi. Did you ever meet Rem Gamliel before? How does he know your name? He said, I never met him before. <laughs> so uh, the Gemara says, at that moment, we learned a few things. The first thing is, we learned that Rabbi Gamliel has Ruach HaKadosh. He knew the name of the person without ever meeting him. But then the Gemara says, we learned three things from Halacha. The first thing is, you don't just pass food. Food is precious. You don't just pass food. You don't just pass over food. Rabbi Gamliel, he take the bread. There was a Halacha. It wasn't just, oh, take the bread. You know, why not? No, if you see bread, if you see food on the road, you have to stop and pick it up. That's number one. Second thing we learned is, 
Why did he have to give it to a Gentile? Why can't they eat it? Remember, people didn't have a lot of food then. This was like today. The food was very, very limited. Why did he have to give it away? The answer is because you follow Rav Ivri Drachem. You follow the majority, halachically, you follow the majority of people that pass on this road. And since this was a place of non-Jews, from Gamliel assumed that this belonged, this is a non, this is from non-Jews, and therefore it shouldn't be eaten by a Jew, so he gave it to a, to a non-Jew. The third thing we learned is that chametz of a non-Jew after Pesach is mutabana, you're allowed to enjoy it. A Jew who had chametz of a Pesach that was his, you're not allowed to have a no after Pesach. But the non-Jew, you're allowed to have. I could go into a non-Jewish store after Pesach and buy chametz, even though it was their whole Pesach. Because this story was after Pesach. And they were giving a gift to a non-Jew, which is basically a benefit. They're gaining a benefit from it. He's going to be grateful to them. One second, how could you have benefit from chametz after Pesach? This was bread that was probably baked on Pesach or went through Pesach. So we learned from here that the chametz of a non-Jew I'm allowed to benefit from. Now, Rabbi Gamliel didn't say all this. Rabbi Gamliel just said, Eloi, take the piece of bread. <laughs> Give it to the guy. But fine. Rabbi Gamliel said it. Rabbi Gamliel was a real Talmud Chachem. So even a Kasichas Chulin of Rabbi Gamliel. Pick up the piece of bread. It's a halacha. It's Ratzon Hashem. It's telling you how God thinks. That's the, that's the, that's the concept that Samach Tzadik is saying. Which now takes us to the next step. This is similar to what it says in Zoyar. The Zoyar says, Reb Hamnunah Sava was one of the great uh, sages mentioned in the Zoyar. Reb Hamnunah the Elder. And the Zoyar says, that he would communicate pirkadishtusa. How do we translate pirkadishtusa? Um, uh, <laughs> literally, it means chapters of, of, of foolishness, of, uh, of of stupidity. Shtusim. Shtusim is narishkeit in like. Huh? A foolishness, a shtus, a foolishness. You know, shtus could mean insanity. It doesn't mean here insanity. It means like foolishness. Before you would communicate. The secrets of Torah, ideas of wisdom to his students, he would say, What does Pirkadishtusa mean? What does it mean? So he says as follows. It doesn't mean that he communicated just stupidity. God forbid. He says, was one of the great spiritual giants of the generation. He didn't sit down with his students and say, okay, we're going to talk about really, I'm going to say really stupid things. It's the same idea that we spoke earlier about sichas chulen. That means the surplus, that which is left over from the wisdom. It's like the, the leaf that falls off from the tree. Yeah, when it comes, when it's when it's a, when it's a tree. Imagine if the tree is is gold. So then, even the leaves are also gold. So maybe a leaf, it's not the fruit, but it's gold. Don't throw it into the garbage. Prikadishtusa means he spoke to them about what seemed to be simple things. You could say, oh, he just had the gift of gab. It was just schmoozing them. It was. Shmooz. It was non-nonchalantly, it was matter-of-fact. Pirkei means it had that, that ear, it didn't have that ear of, 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 of profundity, of, of genius, of wisdom. 
but this was the introduction. The Gemara says in Tractate Shabbos, page 30, that Rabbi, he would begin every lecture, he would begin the shir with a joke, with an anecdote. Milsa Dabdichasa means something that makes you laugh. It's words of a gesture, of a jester. The rabbis would laugh, and then he would begin the Shmaitza, then he would begin the Halacha, then he would begin the Shir. It says after that they they went into a space of awe and reverence. Yosef Be'emsa, they would sit with awe, and he would begin the Halacha. <laughs> what was this Milsa Dabdichasa like? What was this joke? Rabbi was just saying really, really uh, foolish things. He says, no, no. It was on a light note. And it put them into a different mood. It opened them up, which is the concept of humor. Why do we use humor? What does humor do? Yeah. What, what, what does humor do in life? If, if I'm talking to a crowd, yeah. What? <laughs> I sometimes try to, try to use humor. Why? <laughs> you find that funny? <laughs> okay. So that itself was humorous. Humor is powerful. Because humor is an equalizer, right? Especially if you're coming to a crowd that doesn't know you. And people are a little suspicious. And what are you going to tell me? You know, do you even know about my world? Do you even understand me? Do you even feel me? What does humor do? Humor, it breaks down some boundaries. It makes people feel that you're in the same world. You know, we can laugh about the same things and we can cry about the same things. We're scared of the same things. Humor shows, it's not just I'm a serious teacher or mentor or a magid or preacher or rebbe, whatever the person, whoever the person is, or professor, lahavdal. But I'm also a human being. It's, it, humor is, is, in a way, humor is vulnerable. It, it allows people to be vulnerable. It removes defenses. Because people are laugh, you know, they open themselves up and they feel a certain emotional kinship. So it's not that the person is... Rabbi Hamrun is saying Narishkeit and Pirkei or Rabbi is just making you know funny jokes because he became a comedian. No, it's part of the Shir. It's Tzricha Limud. There's depth in it. So Machzadik says, if somebody says Shtusim, oh, it's going to be a real Shtus. When Rabbi Hamrun says Shtusim, when Rabbi Hamrun gives you his mundane talk. There's something to learn. When Rabbi tells you a joke, there's something to contemplate. Another person says, you know what, I'm going to speak some Narishkaitin. It's going to be shtus mamrish. It could be foolish. What is this an example for? What, what are we learning from this? We're learning from this the concept of here. The Tzemach said, when you're talking about a place called Atika Kadisha, Atika Kadisha is the holy ancient one, one of the loftiest levels of divine godliness, even the sichas chulin, even that which is left over, even the energy that is restricted and condensed and goes through many, many, many filters, even the leaves, if it's a tree of gold, the leaves are also gold. It also has tremendous holiness. To understand this a little more, to go in a little deeper, to understand something even more. We explained before, it's not just that even the here, 
of Atik has holiness. But we said something more. We said that the life of all the worlds comes through the here of Atik. Right? We spoke before in the previous shir that the Pasuk says in Daniel that Atik Yoimin, God, the ancient one, is sitting and his cloak is white snow and his hair is like white wool. And Kabbalah explains that the flow of energy from Hashem to the worlds comes through something we call Cyrus. It comes through here. Because the here itself has so much energy. So the Tzamech Tzedek says, but let's explain something. Let's explain. Why the flow has to come through here. And therefore the primary holiness is in the here. This cannot be understood from the metaphor of the mundane talk of the Talmud Chacham. Why? Because apparently there's something that's incomprehensible there. It's true that the mundane talk of the Talmud Chacham needs to be studied. But it's obvious that when the Talmud Chacham speaks Torah and wisdom, obviously it's much greater than the mundane conversations. Double, triple, quadruple, many more times. So what do you need the mundane conversation? Just deal with the Torah. Imagine a person says, I'm not going to the shear of my teacher. I don't want to hear him Gamliel's Torah. I'm just going to listen to the jokes. After Rabbi finished his joke, you leave. You say, oh, the joke itself is, is deep. You missed the point. The joke is deep. But imagine the depth of the depth. The leaves are wonderful, but imagine the fruits. So if somebody somebody clings on only to the jokes because they say the jokes have deep messages, it's true. But certainly the messages have messages. If the jokes have messages, the messages for sure have messages. So so somebody to say, oh, all the wisdom is in the jokes. All the wisdom is in the sikhs chulun. That's ridiculous. The Sikhs also have messages, but certainly the learning itself is much deeper. <coughs> much deeper. I remember my brother, Rabbi Simon Jacobson, told me once a story. I think he told me he was there. They were, they were doing, uh, they were doing um, construction in 770, Eastern Parkway, the Shul of the Lubavitcher, Rebbe upstairs where he would daven Mincha and Mayriv. Every day he would daven Mincha and Mayriv with the Minyan, Mincha 315 and Mayriv in the evening. In a little shul upstairs in 770, um, it was called the Zal, not, not a big room, a small room. He would come in, that's where the yeshiva boys would be learning and he would daven with them every day. But once they were doing some construction there. So they had to go downstairs to daven with the big shul, the big one, well, with the Rebbe would daven Shabbos and Yom Tif. And have his fabrengans downstairs of 770. It's really the basement, the basement. But it's a very big place. Thousands of people could be there. In the last years, he would dive in there always, even in the regular days, because the crowd was much bigger. But in the earlier years, he would dive in upstairs. So, uh, so my brother told me that the Rebbe was going to shul. So he was ready to go into the regular shul, but it was under construction. So he said that he saw there was a Jew named Rabbi Yehuda Lei Bistritsky. They, they called him Label Bistritsky. Label Bistritsky was, uh, was a chassid. He was the, the head of Hatzalah in Crown Heights. He was from the founders of Hatzalah and um, the famous Bistritsky family. He had a grocery store on the, the Lower East Side. 
And uh, Reb Leibel Bistritsky was there. So he tells the Rebbe, as heint davent men unten. Today we daven unten. Unten in Yiddish means downstairs, in the lower level. Unten means unten, on the bottom, not on the top. <laughs> you go down to the lower level. Under. under, under, unten, under. In other words, we're going to the basement, under. So without skipping a beat, the Rebbe just said, in our shoulders, nishtakin unten. In our shul, there's no such a thing. It's a lower level. You're going under. That, it's a shul. So the shechina is there. So wherever it is, it's heaven. <laughs> right. Now, I don't know that many... Leibniz was just saying a simple thing. He was just saying, gotta go downstairs. You can't dive in here. It's under construction. But a real Atamut Chachem, even... You know, how much could you learn from such a response? You could learn a lot. You could learn a lot. What a shul is, what a base Akinesis is, what a base Amedrish is, what Jews davening is. In our shul is nishtakinuntin. Yeah. This is an example. Yeah. I'll give you another example. <coughs> Just what I remember. <coughs> there was, uh, uh, was once a Fabrengen. I think it was Parshas Vayichi Tovshin Mem Zayin, winter 1987. And the Rebbe quoted his father, and his father said, Svadmo said that at this point in history, we finished everything. Medaf tzuputz in the kneplach. We got to polish the buttons, which means the soldier is ready. The uniform is ready. The buttons are also there, but you have to polish the buttons. Medaf tzuputz in the kneplach. You have to polish the buttons. <laughs> so the Rebbe said, why do you have to polish buttons? Because sometimes buttons could get some dust. And uh, so you have to remove the dust and, and clean up the body. In other, in other words, we have to realize we're in a point of history where thousands of years of Jews and good non-Jews have filled the world with, with goodness, with kindness. It's not wasted. It's all here. It's all here. It's like if somebody, Khalil in the negatives, and pours kerosene all over a building. Yeah, All you need is one match and the whole place goes on fire. Because it's not the match. It's everything that happened before. You know, the Rambam says one, one, one mitzvah can change the world because there's thousands of, of years of work. So one match can, can, can light up the whole world in a good way, in a positive way. So he says, now the, the job is to polish the button. Now he would speak in Yiddish. So he said, but sometimes, in all in Yiddish, the kneplach, sometimes the buttons can have, in Yiddish you call it shtoib. But the Rebbe said, he used the English word dust. He used the English word dust. Even, even though he would speak Yiddish and would rarely use an English word. So I thought it was just maybe because people don't know maybe what the word shtoib is. It's not such a popular Yiddish word. So he used the English word dust. Everybody knows what dust is. That's what I thought. <clears throat> I was then connected a little bit to writing of the Sichas. So the Sicha was written up and it was given in for the Rebbe to edit. So in the parentheses... The word was, we wrote dust, the Dalad Aleph Samach Tes. Dust. <laughs> That's where it was written. So, uh, the Rebbe made a, made a, a star on it. <laughs> and he wrote, dust is, Alderech Hatzachas, humorously, Da Sitra Achara. Dust. Da Sitra Achara. <laughs> this is the other side. It showed, he said dust, okay? He didn't just say dust. 
there was something here. <laughs> yeah? The Gemara says in Baba Kamadav, Tzadik Beis, sometimes simple talk of people, yeah, what you call slangs, the Gemara says slang has a root in Torah. The Gemara in Baba Metziah, the sources for what people say, because if people say it, it comes from a source. So that's what becomes slang in humanity. But here you see a little expression, dust. There was something there. He wrote, da sitra achira. Now, so th- that's the concept. That by Atamat Chacham, even what seems insignificant is significant. But certainly, you're not going to focus in only on that. That's just the leaves. Great. But the Torah itself is, is, is much greater, is much deeper. Yeah. <laughs> a Jew once told me his name is Label Posner. <laughs> Rib Label Posner. So he told me that once he was learning, it was 1944, and a lot of new books, a lot of Jewish books, educational books came to 770 from the, from the, from the binder. So there was a truck or a car filled with boxes of books. So the Lubavitch Rebbe, who was running Merkez Lenyane Chinuch and the publication arm of Lubavitch under his father-in-law's tutelage, he asked a few boys if they could bring in schlep in the boxes, just to help. So uh, it was during the break time in the yeshiva, so the boys were there, you know. So he asked if a few people can help. So Rabbi Posner told me that uh, he went to schlep the boxes, but it started to rain. So he got wet. So the Rebbe tells him, here my coat is hanging here. He showed him where his coat is hanging in, in the hallway. They, they called later, and uh, take, you could borrow my coat. So he put on the Rebbe's coat and he went out and he brought in the boxes. When he finished, the Rebbe showed him where to put the coat and he thanked him. And then he says, Doch amakif A coat is what's called makif. Makif in Kabbalah, there's makif and pnimi. Pnimi is the light that goes in, <laughs> integrated, like in a vessel. Makif is the peripheral light, the light that transcends you. Levushim coats, a coat is a makif. It's a light that's above. Food goes in, right? So he's it's represent. Doch makif, a coat is a makif. You still have to have your own. You would think, pnimi, you have to have your own because it's about you. Makif is the general light. It still has to be yours. Again here. <laughs> The concept is that a, a Talmud Chachem who, who embodies Torah, yeah, even what would seem like a, a non-deliberate, superficial, even mundane comment needs to be learned. But the question is, that's not the focus. The focus is on the Chachem itself. But here we're saying something else. Here we're saying, that Atika Kadisha, yeah, the flow comes through the here. <laughs> the flow comes through the here. That's, that's the focus. That's what he's going to ask. This is going to be the question above. Why does it always say in Kabbalah that the flow comes through the here, through the surplus, 
of the brainim. It's true that the here coming from Atika is great in stature. It's very lofty. It's like the Sichas Chulim, but it would have been so much better if you can get the flow from the essence of Atika Kadisha. And yet, we're saying that the flow comes precisely through the here. And the main holiness depends on the here. The Nazar's focus is on the here. He's not allowed to cut the here. We don't cut the payas. The, the here, that's where the holiness is. Why? Because that's where the flow is. Why is that the focus? It's also there. But why does that become the venue for God's energy into the world precisely through the here? And here we come to another point. The Sikhs Chulun doesn't explain this because Sikhs Chulun just says that the Sikhs Chulun also have profundity. But the main profundity is not in the Sikhs Chulun. So the Tzemach Tzedek says, but we already touched on this. The answer is, because from Atik the way it is, the worlds cannot receive. And let's give a metaphor for this. Through a metaphor. The metaphor is going to be a metaphor. King Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 6, To understand the concept, to understand to understand the metaphor and the parable. In Kings 1, chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Shlaima Melech spoke 3,000 parables. Gemara says about Reb Meir, one of the greatest Talmudic sages of his day, the last Mishnah in Saita, page 49, when Reb Meir passed away, we lost those who know how to tell stories. Those who know how to share parables. Why? The Gemara says in Sanhedrin, Lamed Ches, Sanhedrin 38, Reb Meir would communicate. Reb Meir gave 300 brilliant parables. The Gemara says we forgot all of them besides three. Besides three parables left over. And Rashi there in Sanhedrin gives one of those parables of Reb Meir. We once did a whole sheet about it. The parable about the wolf and the fox on Friday. I don't know if you remember the wolf was hungry and the fox told the wolf that Erev Shabbos, Friday afternoon, Jewish homes have wonderful food and if he goes and he helps with the preparations for Shabbos, he'll be able to eat the meal Friday night. And the wolf came <laughs> to the house and he was helping and schlepping and then they threw him out of the house and the wolf wanted to kill the fox because he deceived him and now he's even more hungry. So the fox said, oh, I'll take you to a place where there's wonderful food and he brought him to the well. And the well, the wellspring, the well, had a reflection of the moon. And the moon was like a sliver, so it looked like cheese. (laughs) It looked like a piece of cheese in the water. So the fox tells the wolf, there's cheese there. The wolf says, how do we get down? So the fox says, you see the two buckets? You see the two buckets? You know, they were attached with a rope, and you go down. So he says, go down. So the wolf goes down. And he says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The, the, the fox says, there's cheese there. So the wolf says, how do we get it? He says, I'll show you. 
and the wolf jumps in. The wolf, the, the, the fox jumps into one of the buckets, and the buckets goes all the way down. You know how it is, right? And now he's in the water. And the wolf says, no, I want, I want the cheese, I want the cheese. The fox says, no problem, you go into the other bucket. So the wolf goes into the other bucket, and the fox comes up, and the wolf is left in the water, and the fox says, bye-bye. And that was the end of the story. This was one of the parables of the mayor. Rashi says in Sanhedrin, he had 300, but this is one of them. Now, what was the point of all this? Rebbe Meir liked to tell stories, cute stories. Shlomo Melech said 3,000 parables. Lahavin mashalum alitza. What's the concept? Rebbe Meir passed away. No more people who... We lost the last people who tell parables. What people don't tell parables since Rebbe Meir. Rebbe Meir lived in the days, again, after the destruction of the second base Hamikdash, the first century after the common era. So since then, there's no parables. So Mechadik says, I'll explain. He says something absolutely beautiful. His choice of words is just absolutely eloquent. Because of the depth of their wisdom and the greatest secrets of Torah, the students did not understand the concepts. They didn't understand the words. too deep. Elim ke'nyoyim marshal. So they had to communicate the messages through stories, through allegories, through metaphors, through parables. What is a good parable? A good parable hides the depth of the wisdom in a metaphor that reflects the idea but reflects it through a story. You know how when we tell children stories that contain deep ideas, why do you tell it through a story? Why do you tell through a story? Just give me the idea. The answer is the child won't grasp the idea. So you do it through a story. The story reflects the idea, but the story brings down the idea in a tangible way that conceals the intensity of the idea. And through understanding the allegory, the parable, the student will will have access in his heart. They will form something of the deep idea of the nimshal that we're trying to convey. But what happens if the idea is so profound? Then even the metaphor is too transcendent. So the metaphor needs a metaphor. <laughs> the example needs an example. The wisdom of Shlema was so profound that he needed 3,000 parables in order to convey his profound idea. When people read the Pasuk, that Shleimah Melech spoke 3,000 parables, what do the people think? That he used to sit and tell stories, and he told 3,000 stories. You know, he had 3,000 jokes in his repertoire. <laughs> in his Google, in his document, in his Google document, he had 3,000 stories. No! The Tzamech Tzedek says, and this is something he heard from the Alter Rebbe, it comes from the Magid, that the, the, the Shleimah Melech had an idea. The idea was unbelievably profound. So he gave a metaphor, but nobody understood the metaphor. 
So he gave a second metaphor to understand the first metaphor. But nobody understood the second metaphor. So he gave a third metaphor. And it was still incomprehensible. So the Tzamech Tzedek says he needed 3,000 metaphors to bring down the idea to a lower space and a more concrete space and allow it to incarnate, to go down, to devolve from metaphor to metaphor to metaphor until he reached metaphor 2,999. And people still didn't get it. So the Tzamech said, okay, one more, one more. And he gave us Parable 3000. Ah, the last example. I got it. And now I can understand 2999. So I can understand 2998, 2997, 2996. I don't know how long this shear took. Must have taken a while. Longer longer even than my shearer. And then they understood parable number two, which allowed them to understand parable number one. Ah, then they got it. It's even hard for us to understand what he's saying. 3,000? One, two, three, four, 3,000? But that was Shleim HaMelech's wisdom. Do we know what wisdom is? Do we know what Chachm is? Do we know what depth is? Do we know what Elikus is? So Shleim HaMelech had to speak 3,000 Mishalim in order to explain the original idea, which was absolutely infinite and transcendent. Reb Meir can do it in 300. 300. <laughs> it's not he gave 300 different parables. That may also be true. But Reb Meir had the ability to explain his wisdom to 300. The Gemara says in Erev, in Dafyud Gimel, that Reb Meir really was the deepest sage of his day. So why is the halacha not like him? Because layardu chachamim lamed al saif his colleagues didn't understand what he was saying. So they couldn't make the halacha like him. Nobody could agree. Not because, the, imagine the Gemara says this, they simply couldn't understand. They didn't understand the ultimate depth of what he was saying. We understand ideas, we live ideas. It's an idea, okay, I'll learn it again. Ideas can be abstracted and you have to demythologize the abstractions because the same idea can be expressed on 3,000 different levels. 3,000 different levels. Imagine, the same idea. If you learn the title of the Ragachavar, <laughs> you see this concept. He'll take, an, he'll take a, an argument in Gemara that seems like to be a very practical, concrete argument, and he'll trace it back to a more philosophical argument, which will be traced back to yet even a deeper philosophical argument, which will be traced back to a deeper spiritual argument. And so it goes higher and higher. And this is called Seder Hishtalshalos, the order of evolution of energy. It's one of the richest parts of learning when you see how a very simple argument between two sages, which seems like they seem like to be arguing about a very simple thing, really is just the lowest level of incarnation. It's really just a mirror of much more profound ideas. A few weeks ago, Parshas Truma, we did the Hadron of the Lubavitch Rebbe Maseches Chagiga. I don't know if you remember. So we discussed the many arguments between Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel, which seemed to be you know, simple arguments. What bracha do you make on fire, Metzai Shabbos? Beis Hillel says, And Beis Shammai says, 
how do you dance in front of a bride? Hillel says, Kalanova Chasuda, and Beishamai says, every bride, you change the text based on her qualities and virtues. Yeah. Are you allowed to have uh, uh, cheese and chicken on the same table? You know, when you eat. Again, an argument and We went through around, uh, I don't know, around 10, 10 arguments, a little more perhaps. And, and the Rebbe shows there how these arguments can be traced back to deeper fundamental ideas about how we view reality. Yeah. We once learned about the argument about do you deal with potentiality, do you deal with actualization. I'm just giving an example how what's simple on one level, it's really a metaphor. <laughs> it's really a metaphor. So this, okay, so this begins to explain to us that really deep ideas, they need to have garments in order to be able to express them. And this is going to be the beginning of the example that Tzemach Tzedek is using the concept of a parable to explain to us this whole idea of Atika Kadisha, of the deepest levels of divine energy communicating through here, which is going to be the concept of a parable. And this will give us an understanding into how Judaism views here, which is our discussion here. And um, and this is what we're going to continue Be'ezer Hashem next year. I hope you can review what we learned, review also the previous classes, you could prepare the next piece as well. And uh, and we're going, to, uh, we're going to take a break here. Can I just say something, Rabbi? Yes, Rabbi Yileib, feel free to say. Last night, I heard, I saw your Purim for Brennan. Ah. You know, Purim, I was busy. I was busy. Yes. You have to bring the cost, the cup, the cost. It was unbelievable. Thank you. I, I have wine every night. I love this really wine. Thank you. So yes, we, we had a, a Purim for Brennan. It was a beautiful for Brennan, very uplifting. And uh, Ben Shimon did an amazing job with the music. And it was put up online because it was videoed. And it was put up online so you could watch the Fabrengen, the Purim Fabrengen. Um, Purim has to always, Purim needs to infuse a whole year. So we, a lot of, a lot of beautiful ideas came out of the Fabrengen. So you can watch it. It's on the yeshiva.net. Yes. Also, I wanted to announce that today at 2 p.m., we're going to have a special class about Tchias Hamesim, resurrection. What does it mean? What is the Jewish belief about it? That's 2 o'clock p.m. It's with the South African community. It's going to be here on the yeshiva.net. And uh, tomorrow we have our women's class 1245 in person and also live streamed. So the men can also watch if you behave. Wednesday night, 9.30, we're going to be learning the Siyum of the Rebbe, Lubavitcher Rebbe, Amaseches Kinim, the secret of Jewish history. Lekutei Sichis, this week's Parashat Tazria, Wednesday, 9.30 on the yeshiva.net. Thursday morning, we're going to resume this shir here in Derech Mitzvah Secha about the metaphors and the parables and the here in Atika Kaddish. Okay, questions. Beautiful comments, beautiful comments here. I'm looking at the chat. Somebody says, you mentioned Reb Leibov my father of blessed memory, was very close to him. He would work hard to supply poor people with food on a daily basis. Okay, thank you, thank you. Moire Nayim Parshas Vayeshev speaks about the Sichas Chulin of Yosef HaTzadik, which is Pesach, Pesach, the mouth speaks. Yes, beautiful. 
Well, actually, um, the Moorah says that <clears throat> Yosef wore a katonus pasim. He was clothed in pasim, which is Pesach, Yitzhiyat, Mitzrayim. Right. His mouth was always talking about... Yeah. Somebody says, every story contains a deep idea. Sometimes, not every story, many stories. In public school, we were made to read Dickens and many other great authors, long novels that contain simple but true ideas. I always wondered why they couldn't just give us the idea simply and directly. Do we, do, do we have to read thousands of pages of novels? It was just overbearing. Just get straight to the idea. Let's take Tolstoy's War and Peace. War and Peace by, by Tolstoy, Leo Tolstoy, Leo Tolstoy, is a very, very long novel. It takes us back to the war of Napoleon against Russia, 1812. But War and Peace is not just about the war and peace between uh, Napoleon and the Russian Tsar. It's about war and peace inside the human heart. So just tell me the idea. That's what I always wondered. But we learned about these ideas through the stories. So what I'm understanding is that really deep concept, concepts need a metaphor. Einstein had to explain relativity through many metaphors, and we still didn't understand it. <laughs> yeah. For me, this is actually in my very first class. With oh. the Jewish community. Where are you from? I was uh, born in Portland, Oregon, and adopted by a family out in Sandy, Oregon. And where do you live now? Reading, Pennsylvania, actually. Wow. So what brings you here? How did you know about this? I actually uh, saw one of your sites online, on Facebook. Oh. Okay, and welcome. when I actually found out that 75% of my family heritage, my birth heritage, is actually Jewish. Oh, wow. Wow. So you grew up in a Christian so home? To learn more. Wow, you grew up in a Christian home? Yes. So your father was Catholic or? No. Uh, both of my adopted parents were, are uh, Christian. Christian. And your biological mother, do you know? I have no clue. Um, when what? the state found me and my two sisters, it had been three days since our birth mother had left. Oh, wow. She just abandoned? She just abandoned all three of us. My birth father was in the military at the time. So you were born, and three days later, your mother was gone? Pretty much, yeah. And how old were your sisters? My One of my siblings is two years older than me. I'm the middle child. And my younger sister is a year and ten days younger than me. Oh, wow. I was found in a uh, open dressing drawer surrounded by blankets. My younger sister, she was found in the bathtub surrounded by blankets. And our older sister was searching the apartment for food. How did they find you? How did they know to come there? Yeah, we were in a one-bedroom apartment in Portland, Oregon. And it was the neighbor across the hall who... Heard us crying and screaming. Wow. So your lives were saved? Yes. Oh, wow, wow, wow.
But the hospital didn't even think I specifically was going to live a half hour after they got me. Because of how malnourished I was. Plus, I was considered born two months early. How old were you at the time when they found you? Uh, honestly, I'm not sure. Oh my God, but wow. they said because of my size, I was able to fit into a men's size 10 shoebox. Oh my God. They said that's how small I was. Wow. But found out she had faked her own death and created a whole new life for herself. Wow. She's got more kids out there somewhere and I have no idea who. Wow, I'm so, I'm so, so sorry. So you have been through the ringer, to put it mildly. Well, that's probably an understatement of the century. <laughs> wow. Anyway, it's a pleasure and honor to have you with us. And thank God you're here with us. And may God give you all the strength you need to be able to live life to the fullest under the circumstances. And if I could be here for you in any way, I'm here. And welcome to the club. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, my uh, because this was on like divorce and stuff. Wow. My husband had divorced me. Wow. Because I chose to get clean and sober off of alcohol and marijuana, and he chose not to. Wow. Wow. So as of March 9th, I am four years. Clean and sober. Wow, Mazel tov, sober for four years. Congratulations. You're a source of inspiration. What's your first name? Christine. Wow. Christine Ruth Leckberg is my adopted name. My birth given name is Yolanda Elizabeth Benjamin. Wow. Okay. It's a pleasure. I'd like and to go back to my birth name. Wow. Did you understand the class? A good portion of it, yes. Okay. So I wish you amazing, an amazing day, okay? And God bless you. God bless you and God bless all of us. You are, you are a source of inspiration, of, of endurance and transformation. So may God be with you. And as well as with you. Amen, amen. And everyone else that's on here. Amen. And all, of, and all good people, yes. Thank you, thank you. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.